This Giving Tuesday, the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast wants to invite you to consider donating to Sacred Wilderness. Sacred Wilderness is a nonprofit dedicated to helping people who have experienced spiritual abuse pursue healing. They currently offer in-house soul care and provide scholarships for people pursuing care or counseling elsewhere that have financial needs. Your donations will help cover these ongoing costs of care for survivors of spiritual abuse. And if you'd consider becoming a monthly partner, next year, they're looking to launch more programs to care for survivors, from support groups to live-streamed events, with the hope of building a collaborative community that raises awareness about spiritual abuse and works towards preventing it. Today, we are honored to have attorney Robert Callahan back again to discuss NDAs and when church members should seek out legal advice. If you or someone you know is currently under an NDA after working for a church or faith org, you are not going to want to miss this one. So grab a pen and paper and join us for today's At the Bus Stop by the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. Hello. Today we are super excited to have Robert Callahan with us. He's an attorney and just overall BA human that brings so much uh, fire and knowledge and wisdom to our life and always brings it to the conversations he's a part of. If you follow us over on Instagram, you've seen him a couple times over there in Instagram lives talking about, I think our first one was about Matt Chandler and uh, the Village Church and the boutique law firm and what that purpose would be. And last time we did a good like hour long discussion about NDAs. And we kind of wanted to encapsulate that IG live, that last one, and bring it here to the podcast audience as well. So if you're not following us on Instagram, you also get a little taste of that NDA discussion. So with that, Robert, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so glad to be here. I'm honored as usual. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have you. I think to start everybody out, it'd be great if you would just intro yourself a little bit and tell us all what you do, maybe some of the things you're passionate about. And um, yeah, let us get to know you a little bit, your work. Yeah. So um, I am Robert Callahan. I am one half of the law firm of Callahan and King. I um, am practicing in Waco, Texas, where we specialize in criminal defense, family law, do a bunch of things, pretty much everything from traffic tickets, nonprofits, contracts, wills, all, all sorts of things. But what I specialize in is criminal defense. And that comes from my background, having been a prosecutor for four years Benton County District Attorney's Office. I did that for years, executed every sort of crime that you can think of. The last person that I prosecuted got a triple life sentence, left private practice in 2011 and started, or sorry, left the DA's office in 2011, started my own practice. And then in 2013, formed up with my partner, Chris King. I'm married. We've been, my wife and I have been married for 17 years now. She's attending seminary at Truett Seminary here. We've got a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And we've got two dogs that are just full of energy, more more energy than we have, and a mountain of student loan debt. I would love to move into a little bit of a discussion about NDAs again. Where are you seeing this? Are you seeing this at all? Are you seeing discourse about this? What kind of scenarios are you seeing this come up in? Yeah. If you don't mind sharing. Absolutely. So, yes, I'm seeing discourse about it. Definitely. I think that there's a rise in the discourse as we're all becoming more savvy about spiritual abuse and how it translates in the legal context. I'm seeing it in my practice as well. There's actually a few emails that I need to get back to um, who people have sent me their NDAs in order to review them. And by and large, it's egregious, the types of things that they're expected to contract away. And that's exactly what it is. And what I really want people to understand is that NDAs are contracts, non-disclosure agreements, all in an agreement. You can all it an understanding. 
but it's a contract. That's what they're wanting you to sign. And that has certain implications and that comes with certain rights. And so when you have a contract, there are three basic elements that have to exist. You have to have an offer. You have to have acceptance. You have to have consideration. The offer is in the context maybe of a church. It might be if you're being terminated, it may be we are going to terminate you and we are offering to pay three months of salary and continue your insurance benefits throughout the rest of the calendar year. Your acceptance to this offer will be evidenced by your signature here at the bottom of the page. That's the most common way that you see acceptance. And the consideration is your decision to remain silent. So you are trading your story, your information, your ability to speak about that, your free speech in exchange for the thing that's being offered, which is the money. So when you have those elements, this is not to say that necessarily every NDA is a contract that is enforceable. But when you have those elements, the document that you're being handed is purporting to be a contract. And so that means, first of all, that if you're being asked to sign one of these, I would highly recommend that you take a beat and ask whether you can take this, review it, show it to your attorney, because it is a legal document. You are being asked to sign a legal document. And so often people are being handed these on the spot. They're not given advance notice that they're being terminated. They're not being given any sort of warning that this document is coming. So it's just sort of a heart attack surprise. Here you are, and they expect you to sign it on the spot. I think it's a fair ask to take that document and go review it with an attorney. And one of the things that I want people to understand is oftentimes attorneys don't charge for consultations, or if they do, which is completely fine, they don't charge as much as I think people are afraid that attorneys are going to charge. I think people think that going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars for an attorney to review a contract, that's not necessarily the case. So there's a lot of value in taking a beat and reviewing that with an attorney. What if your employer, almost former employer, moment, momentarily to become former employer in that moment is like, no, or questions you or tries to pressure you into signing it and you feel like you don't have an option? If you sign it under duress like that, what does that look like? Or, or is there legal rights that you have to say, hey, no? Or do they have full power to just be like, if you don't sign it right now, then the offer's off the table? That's a great question. So duress is a thing. That is a legal concept that one can avail themselves of in a courtroom setting if necessary. It is potentially a defense to a contractual agreement. Now, this is going to be state-specific. I think it's important to add the caveat that I practice in the state of Texas. And so definitely, if you're outside of the state of Texas, talk to a, an attorney. But I can think of one example. I, I don't remember where I heard this story, but this was someone that was on staff at a church. They were relying on church's health insurance policy because they had children with disabilities. And the only way that they were going to be able to pay for the continued treatment of those children is if they had the continued umbrella of that protection after they were forced to leave the church. That's a situation where you're not really dealing with what's called an arm's length transaction. When you enter into a contract, there's supposed to be an equality of power dynamics to some extent. In the age of corporations like Apple, Google, and things like that, I mean, we are used to signing end user agreements all the time or upgrade our phones and things like that. But the idea is there's supposed to be a, a parity of the negotiation abilities that exists there. And when you're talking about that kind of hypothetical situation where there is so much value that is placed on the commodity or the carrot that the church is hanging over your head, there's definitely a potential 
issue with duress there. And that's not necessarily anymore what we would call a fair or an arm, arm's length transaction. Along with that, I want to make sure in answering your question that I mentioned this. The issue of consideration, you, you'll remember I said that the contract has to have these three elements, these three ingredients. It's got to have an offer, acceptance, and consideration. What consideration means is essentially the thing that is inducing you to make the, agree- the agreement. And most of the time, that's money. In the context of a contractual obligation, it is possible that you could be signing away something without receiving sufficient consideration. So when you, when you watch movies or when you see TV shows, you'll see sometimes they say consideration for this production paid for by so and such. What they're telling you is that that person paid the inducing, um, the money, the inducing element that brought everyone to the table. If you have a, you know, baseball that's signed by Babe Ruth, someone offered to buy it from you. Let's say that you're a kid. Let's say that there's an older kid comes to you and says, Hey, I see that you've got a Babe Ruth baseball there. I'll pay you five bucks for it. Well, the consideration is so insufficient compared to the value of the thing that you're trading that you would have the ability to go to court and argue that this this agreement wasn't valid because you were essentially being swindled. And so when you're talking about the rights that you're giving up, it's important. I mean, are they just offering to extend your pay for another month? Are they giving you the ability to review this with legal counsel? Those are all things that can militate towards the idea that you're operating under duress. I just think about how sad it is that there's even like a conversation around like being in duress or distressed while being presented an NDA in a church, right? That's just sad. I mean, how far away have we gotten from just... You know. Yeah, I I used to I remember making fun of people in the early thousands, late nineties that were wearing the "What Would Jesus Do" bracelets, and now I'm just like, yeah. you know, y'all had those on for a reason. Please, please go put, <laughs> put those back, back on. on because y'all have forgotten. Like I, I didn't. I am so sorry. I did not mean to take him off your mind. Go ahead and put that back on your wrist. <laughs> oh God! The t-shirt, the Christian fish on the back of your car. <laughs> Put it all back. <laughs> Put it back. Except for the no fear brand. Go ahead and oh. go ahead and retire oh. that. Retire that one. Oh, I forgot about no fear. Oh. We're my, gonna retire that one. My favorite one bumper sticker was um like one that was like I'm paraphrasing was like upon rapture this car will be empty or something like that. I saw one of those the other day. That I scared me. it's coming for us (laughs) okay so anyway (laughs) um, (laughs) what situations other than just like termination are NDAs being used because they're actually being used in other spaces within faith organizations and churches. And I also think that's important for us to have like awareness of that yeah. that's happening because well, they're using, it's they're using it to be high. Some people have to hide. Like when you get hired, I've heard stories of you get hired on a church, you have to sign an NDA. Yeah. So. I, I've heard that. Um, the thing that comes to mind immediately though, Jonna is with witnesses. So mm-hmm. this is the situation where, Let's kind of use the same framework that was utilized in the Matt Chandler situation, kind of a close hypothetical. You've got the pastor on staff who is the accused. You've got the survivor who is anonymous at this point in time. And then all this was brought to light by a third party, which was the witness. And it would not surprise me at all because I've seen it happen so much for a church to go try to put that witness under a cloak of silence by having them sign non-disclosure agreement. And they're not going to explain to that witness the legal rights that that witness has. They're not going to tell them, hey, you have to have offer acceptance consideration in the context of a contract. They're not going to explain 
why necessarily they want that silence or who it benefits. They may just, they may just couch it in terms of we're conducting an investigation. And in order to protect the integrity of the investigation, we would like for you to sign this non-disclosure agreement. And this is also, it's important to bring into the conversation. These are not conversations that are happening usually by the church proper. It's usually a law firm that's been hired by the church. And the purpose of hiring a law firm, there's, there's several, but one of them is that there's a certain amount of prestige that comes with the legal profession. And it just sort of seems like things are more on the up and up if you have a law firm involved. But law firms are not typically investigative bodies. Obviously, we can investigate things, and we do in the course of lawsuits all the time. But it's not like we're CPS. It's not like uh, that's Child Protective Services in Texas. It's not like we're police departments. Law firms have clients. And so we are working for the benefit of someone in particular. So if we're conducting an investigation that is related to a church, it's because we've been hired usually by the church to protect the church's interests. And so Mm -hmm. when a law firm goes to a witness or anyone and says, we want you to sign this non-disclosure agreement, what they're really saying is this is for the benefit of our client, your silence benefiting our client. So then when they are asking the witness to sign it, what the witness needs to understand is that, again, the elements of a contract that need to exist, because this is a contract that they're wanting you to sign, has to be an offer. There has to be acceptance. There has to be consideration. Well, what is the offer? What is this witness being offered in exchange for her silence? What is the consideration? What's being traded in exchange for the silence? There's nothing that, it's not just that this isn't an arm's length transaction. There's not really even a transaction here. They're just wanting right. you to shut up. You're not getting any benefit out of this. Now, it would be extremely problematic if they were offering the witness money in exchange for the yeah. witness's silence. We call that a bribe. And then there's yeah. all sorts of problems that the church can get into and, and that law firm can even get into. So they can't really offer consideration. There's, there's anything that they would offer in trade would somehow be something that would make this an, an icky transaction. Wouldn't it be like intimidation almost, right? Like, yeah. wouldn't it be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you have a couple of suits come to you and knock on the door and say, Hey, we're investigating so and such. And it would not surprise me that, you know, you can always kind of start right and then move to the left. You can always sort of start with the idea or the guys that we want to make sure the, that all of this is brought to the surface so that the church can take the appropriate action and so that the people that are responsible for these things can be held to account. But none of those statements are binding. None of that inducement is something that the the church is actually or the law firm is actually held to. They can, in other words, they can lie. They can lie to the witness to induce their signature on, on these uh, NDAs. And so in doing that, I, I say that what I mean is they can be sneaky. Now, whether or not this is an enforceable document, that's a different question. It's not enforceable simply by the fact that there's no offer, there's no consideration. So that's the thing that I, I want people to take away from this is that there's there's no benefit to the witness and so therefore there's no enforceability. But the law firm isn't, there's no quality control, there's no contract police that are going to come behind them and say, hey, they didn't do this on the up and up or they misrepresented some fact or something like that. The deception is considered, I guess, fair game for lack of a better word. So really a lot of these NDAs, especially when it comes to like a witness or a victim within faith organizations or church settings are really just serving a purpose of intimidation and fear, but aren't actually going to hold up in court. Am I hearing that correctly? Right. It's going to be case by case. So it's right. not like we can say your NDA, if you're under right. one right now, doesn't 
affect you, go for it. Um, yeah. Definitely seek legal counsel if you're under an NDA. But like that's something that I think was really fascinating to me from our last conversation was not only are these so unethical on so many levels for so many reasons, but most of them would not even be able to hold up. So they actually, it's like this psychological warfare kind mm-hmm. of that's yeah. happening when you are served these NDAs because it actually isn't even doing anything, but just the act of it alone and you putting your signature on it has so much weight right? and is so scary that you feel like you can't speak up. Exactly. Yeah. The, the purpose of them is to create a chilling effect. That's exactly what they're designed for. And it's important for survivors in particular to understand you cannot contract away your right to present your case, for example, to law enforcement. So if someone has committed a criminal act against you, you cannot contract away a criminal witness role in the course of signing a a non-disclosure agreement. So they can't keep you from going to law enforcement. And so I think that that's one of the things, and and that's assuming that we're talking about conduct that rises to that level that it should be investigated by law enforcement or by child protective services. But those things in particular, I want to make sure are clear that can't be, that can never be contracted away. There's also other things that by law um, can't be contracted away, like intentional torts, torts are uh, civil wrongs that are committed against other people, some negligent or gross negligent uh, actions can't be contracted away. So there, it's it's always worth running it by an attorney. Jay, you asked earlier about people that are coming to staff, joining a, a, a congregation, and they're being asked to sign these. I would say that's a huge red flag. Don't walk away, run away. Because in that scenario, what you're, what you're being told is that the consideration for your silence is your employment. So it's one thing to be at the tail end of your employment and make the calculus on whether you want to trade your story in exchange for certain benefits, financial benefits that are going to benefit your family. It's dirty, but it's, that's, that's, that's one thing. But to be told on the front side that the only way that we are going to let you into this community is if you come into our nonprofit ministry with the understanding that you're going to stay completely silent about everything that you observe here Unless they have an amazing laser light show or some sort of uh, trademarked, you know, I, I, there's there there is nothing that a church has to offer that should rise to the level of trademarked um, secretive information that must be protected by an employee walking in the door. Like, I, I don't know yeah. what that would be. Like, what I mean, would it be maybe uh, maybe it's like killer. Killer pour over coffee <laughs> or something like that. Like, you just can't. We, we don't. We're in competition with yeah. all the churches, and you're gonna have to sign this NDA. Kibacha, we're not like, gonna like. Yeah, kibacha on tap or something. Like Do you mean kombucha? Yeah, what I call I it. like kombucha. <laughs> oh yeah, I feel I've like seen you're... that kombucha on tap. I've never it had is it. On tap. Been, I've been it's to business. Yeah, it's on tap. But that is why we are signing NDAs in churches. I'm sure, right? The kombucha on yeah. tap and the pour over and killer pour over coffee. Uh, motion to call oh it killer gosh. merch. Motion to call it kombucha from now on. Kombucha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it sounds better. Okay. So, yes. Red flag. If you're going in and you see that. And is there other language that we can be looking for that it's being couched in? I think I'm stealing a, a term from you. Couched. Uh, <laughs> is Are there ways that this is kind of like sneakily put into things where maybe it'd be good for us to be looking out for certain phrases or wording? 
Yeah, they're first of all, they're never going to title this thing a contract. It, you're never going to see a document handed to you that says you know, contract on termination. So no matter whether it's titled or not, or what the title may be, you got to realize that you're looking at a, a contract. That's, that's what they want to call this, or that's, that's the effect that they want this to have. I looked at an agreement recently and I'm trying to pull up the language here. It talked of, it had very gray churchy language, um, that was used. They, they wanted to make sure that the employee didn't, I believe the terminology that was used was we commit to avoiding the appearance of defamation either publicly or through social media. Fine. And to uphold the body of Christ. What does that mean to you? Now that's, that language has no relevance. The, the, there is nothing inside of any of the, the legal books that I could hand to you that talks about the body of Christ. That is strictly Christianese. So (laughs) to uphold the body of Christ, what they're, what the church is wanting to do is they're wanting to make the intent or the, the ideas that are embedded in this contract as broad as possible to induce the greatest amount of silence that's possible. But again, there are some things that you can't contract away. There are times where a contract, an entire contract will fail because of an ambiguity or a deficiency in one small portion. The idea that I'm, it's one thing to say we're not going to engage in defamatory or slanderous, libelous communication. Those things have, those are terms of art. They have legal significance. I know what slanderous is. I know what libelous is. I know what defamatory is. And in most jurisdictions, truth is either a defense, uh, or Actually, in most jurisdictions, they, the, the falsity of the, the thing has to be proven. So what the church is, it's one thing to say, don't commit defamation. That's fine. If you want to bring me into court and to say that I've defamed the church, it's your obligation to prove that I'm a liar. And especially if I've got a, a bag full of receipts, you're not going to be able to do that. So I'm not worried about that clause. I'm worried about this super gray, ambiguous, uphold the body of Christ. What does that mean? That is designed to have a chilling effect because that phrase has no legal significance. The thing that you want to look for is this flowery, poetic, Christianese type language that if you were to divorce it from a church context, it has no legal significance, but nevertheless has been injected into a legal document. To me, that just sounds like spiritual. It's spiritual abuse. Well, it's definitely, I, th- I think, a, sim- or a, uh, a, a sign. It's, it, it's, a, it's a flag of some yeah. sort. You know, it's, it's at least a yellow flag, if not a red flag. Yeah, just tying the Bible to to buy your silence or get you to feel like you can't share your story or that you might not be able to, you know, you have to be guarded with your, your story or careful. It's just uh, it's gross. It's gross. Yeah, it, it is though. In a situation, when do you think it's appropriate for, is it always appropriate when you're in these situations to seek legal counsel? Yes. Um, if you're a member Yes. or, you know, a staff member. Okay. Yes. So it's always and most of the time you can get a free consultation. Right. Yeah. Correct? I mean, that's yeah. we're we're doing those in these situations. So, I mean, when you have if you're talking about a situation where you're suing a church, most attorneys are going to and I I hope that I'm not pissing off some attorney somewhere that's like, "No, don't speak for me." But <laughs> most attorneys are going to handle a lawsuit against a church on contingency meaning that they front the cost, the client doesn't pay any cost, the attorneys only recover something if they win. If you're talking about defending a suit, so the context being that the church is going to file suit against you, first of all, 
think about how many hurdles a church mentally has to go through in order to decide to do that. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but the optics of a church, especially the larger the church, the worse it is. Church like the village church, for example, suing an individual and the individual is saying that I had a story to tell because I'm a survivor or I believe that something inappropriate happened or I was a witness and I was witness to something that happened that was inappropriate. You you don't want that smoke as a church organization. So the likelihood that they're going to sue in that context and that you're going to have to defend that, I, I'm not saying that it's completely unlikely, but I just think that they're going to have to count the costs. And particularly if you've got the goods, if you've got the receipts. I can only even think of like one pastor that I know of that's done that. And I think it was like James McDonald tried to sue Julie Royce. Mm. Am I hearing, am I saying that correctly? And then he like ended up dropping it. That sounds familiar. But it was, wasn't a good look. <laughs> yeah. Just to follow up on Jay's question, I think that there is a tendency, especially in the white evangelical church, for us to be conditioned into silence and into acceptance mm -hmm. of our situations. And we are very hesitant as believers to want to avail ourselves of the justice system. I think it's very important that people understand that that is a product of years and years of, of conditioning with this goal in mind, with the goal of chilling us. And there's a verse that I refer to when people come to me and they're like, I'm a Christian. I don't know how I feel about bringing a suit against a church or bringing a suit anyone whatsoever, because I feel like mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be able to work things out. And I tell people, first of all, you know, God doesn't want you to be victim of abuse. So what angers him should, should also anger you. And it's okay for you to advocate for yourself. But then secondly, I talk about how, you know, there's this passage in Matthew, I think it's around 25, chapter 25, where we're told, you know, if you're on your way to court and someone is suing you, then you want to settle the matter as quickly as possible. At least you go to court and they take your shirt and your tunic too, or your tunic and your cloak too, I think is the the old King James version of it. And my interpretation of that, the modern day Robert Callahan uh, version is basically when you're dealing with a fight over the issue of justice, what you have to understand if you're the bad guy is that you have everything to lose. If you put yourself in this position of becoming an opponent of someone who has a righteous cause. And it, this is really a warning for those who would step into the role of contesting the truth in a legal context to realize that anything can happen in a court of law. You may have the best lawyers, you all the money, and you may have all the, the resources. But when you get into the courtroom, things can, can go sideways real quick. And so the other thing is this isn't a, a prohibition against taking a matter to court or availing ourselves of the legal process. And in fact, we know this instinctively because there's no other context in which Christians struggle with the, the concept of justice or advocating for ourselves, right? I mean, we, we know all about our First Amendment rights. But there's something about when it comes to church context we, our hair sort of stands up on the back of our neck and we feel like the right thing to do is just to be victims. And that's not what we're called to. That's so helpful. I think I might've mentioned this in our conversation on Instagram, but something I thought about when I was coming out of what I would probably say, what I probably had legal grounds for a wrongful termination in my situation, definitely had some legal grounds for some things that happened that were just straight up illegal. I just felt like so much shame at the idea of bringing it to an attorney and like being like, hey, this is what's happening in the church. Like that church on the corner over there, this is what is actually going down there. 
And I, I think it's this warped sense of like, I'm going to make, and it is, we hear all the time in like advocacy and when people speak out about abuse, it's like, you're the problem. You're making the church look bad now. And you're now responsible for the fact that that person's encounter with God and the church is negative. So like personally in that moment, I did call an attorney at one point just to be like, is this okay? Like this happened to me. What's going on? And I was like almost phys- like about to vomit. That's how much stress and shame I felt in that moment. And so I think it's so important for people to hear from you that freedom of like, it's not, that's not of God. And if you've been wronged and they're doing things that are illegal or you've been the victim of abuse, um, like it's not bad to reach out to an attorney and it's not your fault right. that the church looks bad. Right. Yeah, there's no shame. It's the the person who should be ashamed is the person that did the wrong thing to you. Yeah. They're the one that is causing that. But yeah, I'd love to hear just a little bit more of what you would say to somebody in that moment, you know, when when they're feeling like I feel like you're probably the perfect attorney to go to for that. But maybe <laughs> some somebody is like Thank going you. to the attorney that they found that's like four and a half stars on Yelp because they just got <laughs> fired and they're like, I don't know where to go. So I'm going to Yelp it, you know? Right. Like, what do you say to those people right now that are maybe feeling that weight? So the thing that I would start off with is if your child came to you and said, this happened to me and you were angered and frustrated by that situation and you felt the weight of it and you felt though as though they were a victim of justice, would you encourage them to talk to an attorney? And most people are probably going to say yes. Or if it's your best friend or you know, a loved one, if they feel like they've been grieved, most people would say yes and I will go with you to that attorney's office and we will sit down together, we'll be with you through this. And so why would you give anything less for yourself? It can only be the case that we're willing to put ourselves in that predicament because we don't see ourselves as worthy or we don't, we don't see the value that we have and the integrity that, that we should be given. And when you understand the value that you have, when you understand that you are Imago Dei, then why wouldn't you want to avail yourself of the protections of the law? You mentioned um, wrongful termination, and I want to make sure that I I bring this up because this is is a classic example. Just because you sign a non-disclosure agreement doesn't necessarily mean that your legal rights are concluded. You may have a claim, even in an at-will employment state, which Texas is, you may have a claim for wrongful termination, even though they've entered into sort of a settlement with you. All that says, that settlement, all that says is, in exchange for your silence, we're willing to give you three, six, ten months worth of salary, whatever. But if you were planning on working for this place for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and you have been working for them for a substantial period of time, there's no reason to believe that you wouldn't have continued working. Well, now what's really potentially at stake is all that you would have been entitled to had you kept working there. And so if they terminated you without there being a a reason that is, is it's called fault um, without there being fault, then you could have legal remedies that overlap with your wrongful signing of the NDA. Another good reason to, to seek legal counsel. That's really interesting. That's like super helpful too. So Jonna, there you go. <laughs> I think I'm too far out now, but <laughs> you're too far out. <laughs> I think I am. Oh, I'm sorry. Let, let me say something about that too. That, you know, there is, In most states, there's a statute of limitations, which is sort of like the expiration date on a carton of milk. If you're going to drink the milk, you got to drink it by this date. And so for a lot of people, after a period of time, you may be embarred. Right. What are, aside from 
if you want to just do it just to seek justice for yourself in the situation, that is okay. Like you, you have permission to do that. But what are some other benefits of seeking justice in situations like a church is being unethical or there's corruption or abuse? What are, what are some of the reasons that that could actually be the best next step even if it's not because you want a check or something like that. Like what, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, there is a righteous cause behind holding a church accountable simply for the sake of accountability. Because if they've wronged you, chances are that they've wronged someone else. Now let me put a pin in that thought for a minute, but let me just say this. Even if no one else in the history of that congregation has been wronged, but you have, that by itself, in and of itself, is sufficient. Accountability is enough of a virtue that it doesn't need to be couched with some other virtue in order to seek justice. So now going to the pen that I stuck in, Almost always, you've seen this time and time again, whenever someone comes forward and says, this happened to me at this church, it is almost never the case that this is the first and only time that it's happened. It is almost always the tip of the iceberg. Always the case that someone else comes forward and says, oh, it happened to me too, happened to me too. Classic example, Ravi Zacharias. No one could have ever anticipated that. But once once the dam breaks, then you get example after example after example. SBC litigation, we're seeing that. All these people, all these survivors were siloed. They were gaslit. They were made to think that they were the only ones. And that's the, that's the gambit. <laughs> that's what they want you to think, right? They want you isolated. They don't want you organized and communicating with one another about what happened. They don't want there to be an establishment of a pattern or practice. Um, they know they what happens. They do not want bodies behind the bus podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not want that. Right. So when what what we are constantly finding is that when survivors have a safe space to talk about their experience that they find out, oh, I'm not the only one. It's not just me. I'm not crazy. Oh, that happened to you. Oh, it happened the same way to me. And you'll find that the same method and means were utilized that these people are creatures of habit and that there's sort of a modus operandi. And, and then all of a sudden you're looking at 20 years worth of scandal and over 600 pastors in a, you know, what is it? Thousand page report that was released. What I can't even remember now, but it's always the case that whatever you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. So if you don't do it for yourself, do it for, do it for the principle, do it for the fact that there's other people out there. Yeah. I remember reading that Guidestone report and I read it and I read it a few times, or I think I read it at least two times, just the evil it was just evil. That's the best way to describe it, how these men operated to silence and cover up the abuse, just evil. And what was striking about it, how, especially because one of the people that, you know, they hired a law firm too. I think, yeah, they had a law firm. Just how cunning they were with uh, their tactics and just lack of consideration for not only the victims, but really just for the church body as a whole. It just blows me away. It really does blow me away. Like it it's once you see that side, it's really hard to like wrap your head around like how we get out of this. <laughs> like how we move forward in any way. It's uh it's hard to kind of think through that. I think there's so many people. There are survivors out there. There are people that are currently being victimized by spiritual leaders and faith organizations and pastors that are probably listening to this, I want them to hear from us. Like that guilt and shame that you're under and that feeling like you have to be silent, that's on purpose. 
Mm-hmm. There's a reason you feel that way that is designed to make you feel that way. And it's not to protect God and it's not to protect you. It's to protect something evil and wicked and a person that deserves to be outed for what they're doing. Yeah. It's not your yeah, fault. For sure. Well, Robert, in the past, you have um, told us that we could maybe like send people your email if there's like something pressing. Yeah. Um, is that something you're open to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me go ahead and give you it to no you. You can say no if you. No, absolutely. Let me go ahead and give it to you. It's Callahan King Law at gmail.com. So, so Callahan, C A L L A H A N K I N G L A W at gmail.com. Yeah. And even if you just want, to like shoot him an email and just be like, Hey, this is my situation. Should I get an attorney? And you just need that extra person to say, yes, <laughs> do it. Yeah. Like Robert will happily say, yes, get yeah. an attorney right now. And with that, like, y- although you are a brilliant attorney and like, I've learned so much for, from you on the law side of things, you actually do so much in like the Twitter and social media advocacy space in regards to spiritual abuse. And even, I mean, under the umbrella of spiritual abuse, clergy sexual abuse, like you are on the front line speaking out about this stuff. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more of your heart behind that. And then a little birdie maybe dropped in one of your Twitter threads that you maybe were writing a book. So I'd love... (laughs) It's kind of funny to say a little birdie dropped in your Twitter threads. That, <laughs> yes. I would love to hear more about all this stuff. And I would love for our listeners to just get to know you a little bit better um, in that space too. Because again, the reason I connected with you um, on Twitter was actually not even because you're an attorney. I was just like, dang, this dude is spitting fire. Like he actually <laughs> gets it. He gets it. And he's drawing the lines that need to be drawn here. And so, yeah, I would just love for our listeners to have the opportunity to meet that side of Robert as well. Yeah. So I'm constantly talking about the intersection of race, church, and justice, because those are the things that are closest to my heart. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok. My handles there are all the same. It's R. Callahan Waco on Instagram. It's Callahan underscore Waco got a Substack which is titled Friday Fire by Robert Callahan and the the book is kind of an outpouring of all the things that I just can't fit on those platforms <laughs> um, because I just I I am the most I am the eightest Enneagram eight that I know I I just cannot stop thinking and talking and writing about these things and so. Yeah, the book that I'm writing right now, we're, uh, I have an, an agent, Javon Bolden at Embolden, uh, media group. Yep. Shout out. And, um, so it's about embracing our righteous anger with white evangelicalism. And where this is born from is this processing through my own spiritual abuse that, that I have survived and, and trying to rebuild my faith now. And, and what I've come to the conclusion of is, Look, we don't need to reconcile with the white evangelical church. The church needs to reconcile to Christ. There are so many yep. people that are. That's an amen. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, there are so many people that, are, that we're questioning the validity of everything that we were taught to believe about God in the face of all this contradictory behavior that we're talking about here today on the show. And everyone thinks that it's, it's us. The problem is us. And what, what my book is designed to do, what the advocacy that I do is designed to do is to help people understand that, no, it's not just you. And I want to illuminate a path towards healing by revealing that our righteous anger with evangelicals complicity with racism and misogyny and all these other things, our righteous anger has a place and a purpose despite everything that we were led to believe. And so let's walk that out so that we can like, let's talk about how we can use that anger in a, in, in the right way in order to, foster our freedom. Um, so that's, that's what I'm working on. I, I think that there's so much need for it because every time I talk about this, you can see on Twitter, there's such a huge response. And mm-hmm. I just, I feel like so many people need to know I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. Yeah. And you know what? I think that you're the way that you say things with that, like burn it down 
fire that you just, <laughs> it flows out of you. But like, that's what survivors want to hear. Like we, like, I don't want your cushy, sugar-coated, let's have tea together and gab about what what it would look like if we all just like snuggled up and talked about <laughs> it, you know? Like, no, I don't want to do that. I want this to die. Like, this is evil and it's good to burn it down and i think we're so conditioned like you were saying to be like no we can't we don't want to burn it down we just want to like it's not everybody it's not every church it's like no we like it's okay to be firm and angry and fiery about this because god is fiery about this so i think that you're speaking the language of survivors you know I, I think, like, I don't even know, like, the burn it down phrase. I don't even know if I use that anymore. I'm just sitting there saying, like, that old way is not the right way right. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, when I hear you speak and others like you speak, Robert, um, like, what you're trying to do in your work, not only professionally, but also with um, using your skills and talents with this book, is, like, really saying, like, this is the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, that's the dialogue that I... I I want to continue to have to separate us from, you know, the people that still live in the world of NDAs and cover-ups and scandals Mm -hmm. uh, to just set that example to say, no, this is the way it is. This, this new way, this way that we're proposing right now, this is how it should be because this is how it always has been. And hopefully more people will find that and, and feel safe and heard and seen in that, those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, cause when I hear your book, like, I, I see people reading it and feeling that, feeling seen, feeling heard, mm-hmm. feeling a place where they can take that anger and frustration and not mm-hmm. feel guilty about it. And uh, I think that's that's amazing. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, we hear so much about diagnosing the problem and like, why is it that, you know, these people are thinking this way and I said, like, you know, how is it that we can we can have these different understandings of Christ is, and then you're expecting us to just sort of snuggle up together and the lion's supposed to lay down with the lamb in the same abusive blanket. And I mean, like, there's so much that is at stake that uh, it's it's important that as we're as we're processing through all that we've survived and that our anger is in fact valid no, I'm not going to put myself in the position again of being victimized. (laughs) 